Hello, this is Frank Falvey with Frank Presents. And today we're doing candidates interviews and my co-host Steve Sherlock. Steve, welcome to the program. Thanks, Frank. This is a great opportunity to interview the variety of the candidates that we have coming up for the November election. We'll do this video, extract the audio, put it on the podcast, and then extract the audio as well and transcript it, you know, put a transcript. So people will be able to watch, listen, or read all the info to make it available to them so that they can cast an informed ballot when they go to the polls. And today, we're honored to have Jason Mello. Jason, please meet Candidate for the planning board. Jason, can you tell us a little about who you are? Yeah, so uh, my wife and I have lived in Franklin since, uh, I want to say about 2011 now. We moved here when it was halfway between both of where we worked at the time, right? So <laughs> we're kind of that story that you hear commonly told, right? Uh, yes. And then from there, uh, things changed. Uh, <clears throat> within about a year, I became uh, employed by the town. So for uh, seven years, from 2013 to 2020, I uh, served as the assistant town engineer with the DPW. Um, since then, I've joined uh, the city of Worcester in their DPW there. But uh, my wife and I still live downtown. Uh, we live about a two-minute walk from here uh, with our two young children. So that's kind of my Franklin story in a nutshell, if you will. Franklin story. Do you have children in the school system? Uh, our son, our oldest, just started at the uh, ECDC, so can't talk highly enough of that. Right, right. Great. Yeah, they're very young family, but yeah, you got a long way to go here for and uh, good opportunities, so yeah, thank it's a you great, for- Great community for families. Yes, it is. That was the reason we came many years ago, and we're still here, so yes. In addition to your Franklin story, one of the things clearly going for the election, voting is a part of an active democracy. Can you expand on that a little bit? Have you been an active voter yourself uh, in your time here? And obviously, considering work considerations as well. Yeah, so uh, I've been an active voter pretty much since we were 18. We used to, um, when we were in school, right, it's not like my uh, friends and I would change our Voter affiliations, we would stay with our hometowns, obviously, but you vote on a Tuesday, so we would have the democracy train every Mm -hmm. year on, like, Tuesdays, and we would drive around starting in the morning, and we'd go to vote in all of the communities and then end up back at school. So, uh, you know, it's pretty important. Um, I believe it's how you get representation that you not only feel is informed, but representation you feel is going to represent what you have for views. Um, So, obviously, uh, people have, uh, we have more access to it now. Thankfully, mail-in voting has become... Correct a bit more uh, popular and sure. mainstream. So I, you know, because there are some barriers to voting, unfortunately, for people with mobility issues or, you know, quite frankly, some people have to work. Yes. You know, when polls are open. So having that, uh, having that access, I found, is, is great. And hopefully it increases the number of people that vote. Yeah, that's been the hope. And in, uh, clearly post-pandemic days, that's one of the things I'll be watching because I've been kind of maintaining kind of my own stats in terms of turnouts. And as a local election, we generally only get about 20% which is not good. <laughs> uh, so hopefully this time around with both the local election and then the town council just put the tri-county uh, school vote on the November 7th election. So as a debt exclusion piece, potentially it'll be more than the 20%. Normally when we have a debt exclusion vote like that for another Franklin school, it's about a 40% turnout. So it'll be, we'll be watching that closely to see how well we do to get a turnout. Um, but aside from the election piece, in terms of your skill set, you've worked with DPW and other engineering backgrounds. 
what skill set, what interest and experience do you have to bring to the role you're seeking in the planning board? So one of the specific things that uh, I've gotten to do um, throughout my, uh, the course of my public works uh, career uh, in the different communities that I've served is um, uh, sit on the other side of the table from the planning board, if you will. Um, and uh, I uh, reviewed plans for the town here uh, the, and both the other communities that I've served since uh, working here. Um, we were actually uh, in the process of developing a peer review um, system in the community I serve now, similar to here, so I've kind of mm -hmm. had my hands in every bit of the, the technical end of the planning board. Um, aside from that, I'm uh, very intimately familiar with the town's infrastructure and our needs and uh, plans for the future from my time working here and uh, just from being connected to the community, walking around, patronizing different businesses in town, speaking with people, so. Mm -hmm. Sure, and I think as you're aware, as we're here, we're still growing, we're still developing. There's some things that people like, some things that people don't. Do you have a vision for how we can, you know, smartly grow? Because we do need to increase revenues, but how do we do that in tight space and tight times? Yep, so I think there's gonna be uh, two real major things on the, the housing end that are gonna impact uh, how Franklin grows. Now this is a, an issue across the region, right? Um, unfortunately, uh, due to a myriad of issues, we really haven't built enough homes, uh, especially affordable homes in the area in the past 20 to 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, so now there's uh, kind of been a realization to that and now we're trying to play catch up, right? So uh, two things that are offshoots of that are um, the ADUs, so auditory dwelling units and um, the state recently passed a law that mandates that communities with uh, MBTA stations within a half mile of the MBTA station, your density has to go uh, to, uh, I believe it's 16 units per acre, which is uh, pretty, pretty significant. Um, not anything that a, a lot couldn't uh, accommodate, but still mm -hmm. uh, significant. Um, so those two things are going to greatly impact uh, growth in terms of residential in the community, and it's um, how we responsibly administer those two programs, I right. think is gonna be key. Um, secondary to that, Franklin has, uh, as you grow your uh, residential population, uh, unfortunately residents, uh, especially families, I have to talk ill about my own family right now, we're really bad for taxes. <laughs> so as, unless we live here for an extended period of time after our children leave school, we generally are negative in the tax Correct. bracket. So yes. we have to offset that by having uh, you know businesses in our community that we can can tax and, and use that to you know uh, offset the negative revenue from families, um, we have a number of uh, areas in Franklin that are suitable for business development, industrial development, and things of the like that can be used to serve that tax purpose. Yes, and it's how we responsibly approach those, right? Because they're going to increase uh, have the potential to increase traffic noise, uh, and any number of other things. Um, so we have to accommodate them as a community if we want to continue to grow and uh, maintain our level of service and our, our excellent school system. But we also don't want to impact the lives of the people that live here in the process. So uh, you've got those two issues on the kind of the home and residential side and then one on the, the tax and industrial side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, walking the fine line, definitely. Jason, did you go to college? Yes, sir. So I'm. Uh, I went to Worcester Polytech uh, from 2004 to 2008 for civil and environmental engineering, and then I uh, I was a glutton for punishment. Uh, so uh, while I was working full time, I said, "Let's do this again." And I uh, went back and uh, earned my master's degree at Knights. Um, so I graduated in 2012. Um, 
and I was like, okay, this is enough. I went on to earn my engineering license and practiced uh, just engineering for a while. And uh, my current employer, um, the city of Worcester, has a program where they, uh, through a, an agreement with the colleges and the city, will offset <coughs> part of your tuition. So uh, myself and a bunch of our uh, the staff have decided to take advantage of that. And uh, we're uh, myself and another gentleman that I work with are pursuing a master's of public administration at this Ooh, time. So yeah. um, definitely a little bit different than engineering. I'm That's not just a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, I'm not so used to. There's not a lot of numbers right now. Uh, <laughs> but a lot more words, but you know we're learning a lot, so it's yeah. definitely cool. Yeah, Worcester having gone to school there and WPI, I was up the street at Assumption College. So Worcester at least has that college community, which it can well on and uh, yeah I wish you well in your MPA because that certainly is a it's a stretch but I think it's a worthy stretch for your background yeah so I'm uh, I'm functioning in, a, in a, the leadership capacity now at work I'm the director of the our division so I've, I've the skills that you don't learn right because we went to school for technical things and right. you expect to be a technical person mm -hmm. and then you graduate into a manager and you go I don't have any academic <laughs> background in this or training I could really use some wow this is interesting so it's it's uh, I'm kind of just at the very beginning stages of only a few classes in, but it's it's been really educational. Mm -hmm. What does civil engineering cover? Is that the streets and the sewer, or is that buildings? What What is a civil engineer? Uh, <laughs> all right, so there's, there's kind of, uh, civil engineering is, is kind of cool because there's civil engineering, and then there's like people that call themselves civil engineers, which is a much smaller section of civil engineering, so I'm gonna try to explain this. So civil engineering, is a bunch of different fields. Uh, environmental engineering is considered part of civil engineering, structural engineering, geotechnical engineering, so like just things with the ground, um, traffic engineering, um, transportation planning and urban planning can sometimes fall into that realm. Um, and then you've got uh, kind of what a lot of people do is just civil engineering, so like your site design and um, you know roads and, and things like that, they're just, you know, basic infrastructure and site design. <coughs> so this, we just kind of call ourselves civil engineers because um, we're doing a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, that's more the realm that I've found myself falling into over the course of my career is having to do the jack of all. Jack of all um, trades type stuff. Yeah, a little yeah. bit of geotechnics here mm -hmm. to check out if this drainage system's gonna function properly. Uh, a lot of work with roads, um, some permitting things, obviously a lot of planning board review. So mm -hmm. we're kind of especially in the public work sector, we have to be able to kind of look at everything that's going on in the community. Um, Taking more of a holistic approach, if you will, rather than just focus, I just want to do this. I don't want, that's all I want to do. Yep, so we'll have, I have a few guys on my staff that do like specific things, like you are the expert in this field, but right. at least <coughs> at the level myself and a lot of other uh, people in the field function at, um, we, we can't do that, we have to, you know, kind of look at things holistically and realize when you need to bring in an expert because there's mm -hmm. plenty of times that yeah. I need someone who knows sewer way better than me to look <laughs> at it. I w was amazed one evening when it was being explained about rain wa runoff water mm -hmm. it, <clears throat> and how intricate that is under the streets and how big you need uh, the, the basins or what, in Franklin, right? Where does all that water go that that is running under the street when it pours or rains? So there's a few places that it goes, right? Um, some of it, as much as we can, 
uh, and the people at the Public Works Department are trying to encourage us, as, as the, uh, the state is, uh, we're going to try to put it back in the ground, right, because that's where it wants to go. Mm-hmm. That's going to prevent flooding issues. <coughs> it's better for the environment. It's going to help restore our wells. So you're seeing a lot of efforts being done now to encourage that. Um, my wife and I are actually looking at putting a rain garden on our own property to capture the water that comes off of our house, and we can infiltrate it. And you know, rain barrels are another thing that are uh, a good to use. So you'd be amazed if uh, you do the math how much water just even like a simple rainstorm will a short one will leave you can fill up a whole 50 gallon rain drum in like 15 minutes and then use that to water your your garden um but that's not where obviously all of it goes so most of the water that falls on the uh the various watersheds in franklin uh goes into natural water bodies or wetlands so um you know mine brook the charles river the various wetlands in town. Um, ultimately, what the drainage systems will do is collect that water and bring it out to an outfall, and that'll discharge uh, into that outfall. Um, the state, uh, mandated by the federal government, has uh, finally put into place something called the MS4 permit. And under that permit, uh, the towns or all the municipalities in the state with outfalls and regulated areas, which are mandated by the federal government, have to sample your outfalls actually for. Uh, con- various types of contamination now, so uh, you're, that's why you're starting to see a lot more talk about stormwater. Um, you know, because we have uh, improving stormwater quality because it feeds all of these natural water bodies mm-hmm. and wetlands is really what's going to help improve our environmental quality. And then, in addition to that, is as you see a, mu- a lot more impacts uh, from weather changing due to climate change. Uh, you know, we're seeing much more high intensity storms, right? Like some of the storms that we got. This summer were incredible, but with, yeah. with just the intensity, and our our systems aren't really made to handle that. So mm-hmm. you're gonna we're now trying to play catch up in this arena too. It's like okay, how can we go back in and and retrofit or or you know change how these things are laid out or constructed to accommodate these bigger storms? Right. So yeah. So does the town towns actually have much ability to regulate? that or is that mostly just coming from the federal and state government and the town has to accept uh, how how things have got to be laid out? So uh, kind of two part on that, right? So the MS4 permit, uh, we jokingly as industry kind of said it would never be put into place because the the public comment edit period, was almost about 10 years. <laughs> and that's very common, on, believe it or not, on federal documents. You know, there'll be public comment periods from like six to 18 months, and then you ha- you'll get 100,000 comments that all have to be looked at. Some of them are considered. So, I mean, you can do the, the math pretty easily on that. That's yeah, a lot of people take, working a lot. lot yeah, years to go through it, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of funny because sometimes your documents are old before they're new. <laughs> uh, so, this particular one, uh, the standards that we have to meet, you know, uh, testing thresholds and the like, uh, what border bodies are considered impaired, those are set by the government uh, the, on the federal level. But uh, the town also has the capability to establish a stormwater uh, utility um, and, and stormwater bylaws. So Franklin uh, does have a stormwater bylaw, um, and then we also have the state has a stormwater uh, stormwater standards we have to meet as well. Um, and Franklin is either in the process or has established a uh, stormwater utility. I believe yeah, it's has just, established. Just became effective July 1. Exactly. So yep. it, we've, we've just established a uh, stormwater utility, and that's going to allow the town to um, uh, 
you know, levy as like a uh, as a fee similar to war in your sewer and enterprise fund uh, to maintain and manage the stormwater systems in town to meet our regulatory obligations. Do you have any specific plans about how the planning board should approve things or or what they should disapprove? In in your mind, going on to the planning board is. Is there something that is in your mind you'd like to change or implement? I, I personally, am, I, I think that we're going to need to accept some level of higher, higher density housing as a community. Um, you know, n just to keep housing prices somewhat near affordable, as unaffordable as they become, um, and to not drive our own community members out, um, and just to really kind of accommodate the region's growing population and, and do our part, right? Um, on a long term, if we uh, we do not grow our housing stock, things are going to become worse for us to live here. We're gonna, mm. you know, you, you see it already happening in communities that are much more expensive than Franklin. It just, it you can't have a, a community that's that's like that. It becomes too stratified. You, you lose basic services. It, it's really not a good thing. Um, so probably encouraging a little bit, or finding a good way to encourage and manage somewhat higher density housing would be kind of an important Higher thing. density concerns me. Too many people in too confined a space. How do you look at changing that problem with, if you go higher density? Right, so... Uh, Higher density doesn't necessarily mean packed in like sardines, right? So I, I, that's kind of the common concern. Um, so a good example of this is uh, for so long we've established in, in many zones, not only Franklin, but really in eastern Massachusetts and throughout the region, uh, you know, minimum lot sizes of an acre or larger. Um, my home is on a quarter acre um, lot, it, and we're a little close to the street. The home's a little tight, but for all intents and purposes, nice home, works for my family and I. We can mm -hmm. fit a few cars in the driveway. We've got a gorgeous backyard, plenty of room for the kids and the, and the dogs and whatnot. So um, you're not seeing a lot of that built anymore. And I'm not saying that we need to go back down to 10,000 square feet and a lot, but maybe encourage people to use 20 or 25. Um, and you've seen, uh, there have been some developments like that in town in the past 20 years or so, but more often mm -hmm. um, but, but but what's happening is we're like where where uh, the ruling on chapel is there's a development for i don't know whether the condos or apartments apartments 104 Th there are apartments right that will be a slum area within 30 to 50 years in my opinion i mean do you like do you like that concept of that building? I think the building, due to its height, is a little out of place in the area. It mm -hmm. feels a little tall. Um, I understand that it, I'm, uh, you know, it, it can be there. You know, it, it's past zoning in the planning board. Um, but uh, for my personal likes, it's a little tall for the area. Um, I, I think as a community, um, we have a, a, a pretty strong community in, in terms of uh, economics and just community services and, and community involvement. So I guess I'm not worried about it like turning into a, like a slum per se. Um, but yeah, no, I, I um, the, it's definitely a little odd for the, the area in terms of its height. Mm -hmm. I see apartment buildings where I've never seen 
apartments being built in 30, 40 years. I mean, all of a sudden, we seem to be on a bent to build apartment buildings. What's, what's moving that? It's uh, really kind of due to the issue I was speaking of a little bit earlier uh, with zoning, where we've kind of only made it affordable to either build apartments or homes that are now going to be sold for a million plus dollars. There's not the in-between where you can go and build a 1,800 square foot home on a 25,000 square foot lot and, and make money doing it. It's just not opportunities to do it. There's, I'm going to tell you right now, if people started doing it, there'd be a, an absolute ton of market for it because that's really what most people want. They don't want these 3,000 square foot plus homes, but it's what we've driven developers to do through policy. Mm -hmm. Through policy and through finance, which is the other key piece, because some developers, even if they wanted to do the smaller pieces, they're not going to get financing to do that. They're only going to get financing for the million plus homes or the high density apartment type pieces. I think our challenge is going to be, especially with that Franklin for All, within that half mile radius of the downtown train station, never mind going out to the Dean Station, uh, excuse me, the uh, Forge Park Station. That'll be a second phase, if you will, for the town along Dean Ave, along Cottage, you know, kind of the downtown areas, that's where it's now being zoned so that it can be the higher density. And it's gonna, that's going to be a change. That's going to be an adjustment. But realistically, I think from a financial perspective, 80% of our housing stock is single-family homes. We don't have enough of the breadth across the market so that people could, you know, move through a home. You know, in your communities, when you were in, in cities in Boston, in my community, when I was in Pawtucket, you had triple-deckers and you had single-families, you had duplexes. We don't have that variety here, and it's going to be a challenge to try and create some of that variety because we don't have many spaces in which to do it. Now, my wife and I started, and we rented in Franklin in a, in a you know, rental community for a few years. We were fortunate and found uh, a rental that was a converted home, so we had an apartment in mm -hmm. one of the, the big old like, farmhouses uh, that was converted. And uh, finding our actual, an actual starter home in town was, was difficult. And, you know, you look at the, especially what it's valued at now, and I, it's hard to consider how you would view that as a starter home. Right. And that's all due to the, you know, it's just the market. There's not yeah. a lot of them out there. Yeah. So how, how would you, on the planning board, advocate for starter homes or low-income housing? I, you know, I think our opportunities right now are, um, you know, w to some degree we have to lean into this law that the state has passed, right? Because if not, we're going to see a lot of grant and uh, funding disappear and a lot of, you know, potentially millions of dollars per year. And we really don't want that to happen. No. But that's not also to say that all of a sudden we need to turn downtown Franklin into looking like downtown Framingham where everything is four stories. Um, so responsibly converting underutilized properties in terms of either um, it's a large lot that only has a single family home on it, it's a three story home that's only being used as a single family right now that could potentially be used as three apartments, um, encouraging redevelopment of some uh, lots where you take a building down and then uh, go up, uh, you know, kind of a combination of those, right? Is is what's going to, no, because every not, lot's not the same. You can't just put a cookie cutter down and go, this is going to work in every lot. You mm -hmm. have to approach them individualistically. Um, but, you know, kind of a combination of those things. Like, all right, well, this this home here, 
has tremendous character. It's been part of the community for 200 years. We don't want to see someone come in and knock this down um, and put up a, a brand new building that, that's kind of soulless. Let's encourage people to take buildings like this and convert them into apartments, right? So we're going to maintain the, the character of our community and instead of you know having uh, one family with a 3,500 square foot three-story home, you have three apartments, right? So encouraging growth like that. Mm -hmm. You have a question, Steve? I welcome your interest in taking on this kind of challenge. Uh, that's one thing that clearly we need to face as a town, the Franklin for All project has enabled uh, town council to start making the changes. You mentioned accessory dwelling units. They've made the bylaw change for that. They've addressed some of the density issues in terms of the lot size and coverage from an impervious perspective. It's gonna take some time to see if those changes actually will bring about the housing stock that additional that we need. And yeah, I, if there's more that we can do, it'd be interesting to see how that can be done. Yeah, you know, it, it's not a c problem that's confined to Franklin either. So it's right. it's, you know, it's not something that we're facing as a alone as a town, or that you know uh, we're going to have to face an un, an uh, un oversized burden for. It's it's everywhere around us mm -hmm. right now. Um, so hopefully that you know people at the at the state level and and regulators and people on local boards can continue to work together and come up with innovative ways to tackle it. Yep. There is a small number of older people that live in Franklin. Uh, most people that live in Franklin, I think, are under 35. And the number over 65, I think, is, is kind of tiny. But a lot of them own their own homes. And they're approaching uh, a, a point where, where they probably aren't overly rich to pay for these massive assisted living homes that are massively expensive. <clears throat> what do you envision when they pass away should happen to these homes or they sell them? Well, to go back just a second there, if the, especially if they're in the position, right, where you were worried about uh, them being able to afford retirement communities, I think that's a common concern for a lot of people is our is your parents' age, right? Um, they can't afford it. They can't afford it. And so in that in that case, in point in time, you're looking for your, your family to be part of your, your care when you're older. So this is a, a, a perfect example of why we need to make sure we maintain and, and grow our housing stock in town, because we don't want to have to go, well, we're now going to have to move, uh, you know, grandma 20 miles down the road because it's the only place that we could find uh, you know, someone that was even decent for her to live. You know, if we could, uh, and this is where density comes into play, uh, you know, apartments that are suitable for seniors, you know, or, or, or a retired couple, that is much different than an apartment that you need for a growing family. So when you talk about units, it can be scary, but, you know, we're not talking about, always talking about 1,500 square foot or 1,000 square foot units. Sometimes we're talking about 700 or 600 square foot units that are much more suitable for you know, someone elderly who their family are helping them out. Um, and that's why these things are important to consider because we don't want to be starting to drive out the more vulnerable members of our community. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the homes, uh, you know, I, I'm, uh, I think those are also places that potentially, uh, you know, maybe a younger generation, right, uh, before we, uh, our older generation passes on, is able to move in, and that's where an ADU would be a great use. Jason Mello. 
thank you for coming as a guest here and a candidate for the planning board. Is there any information you'd like to give out to the general public of how they could reach you or contact you if they wanted to know more about who you are? Yeah, definitely. So uh, I'm currently the associate member on the planning board. So you can, if you uh, looking to contact me, yeah, my information is actually all right on the uh, the planning Town board's page. website. Yep. So you can find me right there, and I'll uh, I'll try to get back to you within about 24 to 48 hours. <laughs> like, t work is very busy. I have two young kids, but I, I will I will get back to you. Well, for Jason Mello, candidate for the planning board, for Steve Sherlock, and for myself, uh, we hope to see you on November 7th from what did you say, 6 to 8? 6 to 8 p.m., yep. And uh, beside uh, the candidates, uh, the ballot question on the schools might uh, draw you out uh, to, uh, be on, to, to vote because there will be a debt exclusion for the new Tri-County uh, High School on that ballot. Uh, thank you, and uh, thank you for watching, listening, or reading all the options that you have on uh, YouTube, or on uh, uh, Franklin uh, Cable Access Channels or 102.9 FM Radio. This program was made possible by your Franklin friends and neighbors. Good folks, just like you. Thanks for supporting Franklin TV. And thanks for watching.